0: I'm Jack Russell, and welcome to The Cricket Podcast. The Cricket Podcast. I think it should never be permitted to happen again.
1: That is very good. Hello and welcome to The Cricket Podcast with your usual hosts, Max, Jack and Ross, and a special guest in Jack Russell. Uh, so, as you may have uh, guessed from our teaser at the front, we had Jack Russell on talking to us uh, for this uh, special episode of The Creep Podcast. Um, we got his thoughts on the hat, obviously, uh, some of his best memories from his playing days, friends and rivalries that he uh, sort of developed throughout those times, and uh, obviously
2: his art as well. But firstly, Ross, what, what did you make of him? I, th- I thought he was a really, really nice guy. I didn't know really what to expect, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, he kind of is got a bit of a reputation, but actually lovely, lovely guy. Um was yeah, very, very willing to talk to us and actually I think some of the stuff he said was one, insightful, but two, actually really funny. So some of the relationships that he's got in cricket are great. Um, love the story as well around um his relationship with Courtney Walsh who he played with at Gloucestershire. Uh, which is definitely worth listening to and it's really, really good fun. So, um yeah, we really hope you enjoy the interview and uh we shall uh, be looking forward to all of your feedback and uh, thank you ever so much for all of you who uh, contribute questions on twitter um we asked as many as we could we might just not have attributed them correctly because uh, jack's not very good at his job is he <laughs> that's jack hope not jack russell just to clarify <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs>
1: um so well, i mean I'd, I'd echo that ross i think um it was a real pleasure to talk to to jack russell he was excellent company um really funny really amusing um it was yeah great I, I thoroughly enjoyed our time speaking with him um so i'll stop boring you now and um lead on to uh, jack russell who is the first in what we hope will be a series of these interviews with the creep podcast so uh we will leave you with that and i hope you enjoy
0: stop David, break work beautiful piece of work that's what he was there for right stamping was all jack russell's with a background that was a fine piece of club work that really was fantastic work he whipped the balls off in a flash and as soon as they saw
3: me jack russell came bounding over <laughs>
0: <laughs> and i just made it into the popping crease in time
1: so today we are delighted to welcome a former england and gloucestershire wicketkeeper jack russell to the podcast one of the finest glovemen the game has seen And a hugely popular cricketing figure, certainly based on uh, what we've seen from our Twitter anyway. Um, Firstly, Jack, thanks again for agreeing to speak to us. It's much appreciated. And also, importantly, congratulations on making it into our our Hall of Fame, ahead of Kumar (laughs) Sangakara and Adam Gilchrist. I'm sure that's um, a particular highlight for you from your (laughs) cricketing um, history. Uh, But the first thing I would like to ask you is, do you still have the hat?
0: Uh, no, well, firstly, Max, I'm honoured to be in front of those two legends um, <laughs> and exceptional players, and I'm honoured honored to be on your on your podcast. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, the, your first question, i have, have I still got the hat? Yeah, I've got to know where the hat is 24 hours a day, otherwise I have a panic attack. Um, so I've got it hidden away um, in a safe place. But when I was playing, I never used to leave it at the ground. Um, I used to take it back to the hotel with me and keep it with me overnight, also with my gloves. I used to have this brown bag, sort of the last ten fifteen years of micro this brown bag with all my bits in it um, so that used to go back to the hotel and if we were on uh, if I was away with England on a plane the my gloves and my hat had to go in my hand luggage up in where we used to sit you know and it not it didn 't go in the hold underneath, so I never used to let it out of my sight, which used to cause a bit of a stir because. My gloves were quite old. Generally, I, you know, I had two pairs over basically over twenty years, so they they used to smell a bit. So I used to get <laughs> funny looks when I was sat on airplanes with various people. And then my teammates really wanted to sleep next uh, to sit oh, next that's, to me. That
1: sounds like a, a bonus, really, for a for a long distance flight to uh, to
2: wherever you were playing. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna, I was kind of picturing you actually sitting on the plane wearing the hat and the gloves. <laughs>
0: Uh, no, not quite, but it, it, it's, I mean, I have been tempted, I have been tempted, but was, I remember we had a few, um, when you're on tour, you get the odd fire alarm in the middle of the night, and, um, so the, the routine was to quickly whip on a tracksuit, trainers, but make sure I picked up my hat and my gloves, so I, I, I occasionally walked out of the hotel in the middle of the night with my, with my hat and my gloves, that's about as close as I can get.
1: Excellent. Uh, what an image. Um, what, so that, that, well... Seeing as the, the hat and those gloves have been with you pretty much uh, everywhere with you for, throughout your, your career, um, they must have seen quite a lot in terms of uh, your, your playing days. I just wondered if um, you could sort of recount a particularly favourite memories of, of yours from your, from your career with uh, England or, or Gloucestershire?
0: Oh, that is so difficult because um, <laughs> we haven't got that long, have we, to go through all them because there, there are so many... Um, but I did have the hat the very first day of my professional career, and had it to the end of my career, um, twenty odd years. So although it had been rebuilt a few times and repaired, because it did look sorry on the odd occasions and needed to be looked after, but, so the hat as did see all of my uh, all of my main events, probably except the first one, which was um, my county debut when I was still at school. As a 17-year-old, I played for Gloucestershire against Sri Lanka in 1981. Um, Both county keepers, Andy Stavold and Andy Brattenton, were either ill or injured. And I got drawn down to Bristol from my... I was supposed to be taking an A-level examination and um, I got called out. And luckily, I was the only person doing the exam. So they managed (laughs) to postpone it a few days. So I made my debut. So I think that was like a childhood dream come true, really. The only problem was my very first ball in County Cricket went for four byes. So it wasn't the greatest start. In fact, <laughs> I, can still, I can still hear it hitting the advertising boards down at the, uh, <laughs> down at the old Jeff, Jessup Tavern in Bristol. I can still hear in that noise echoing around the ground. But my first class debut was something special, as was really my England debut. I think you know, I've got to look at those two occasions because everything else is followed from, from that. Um, and to run out at Lords with three lions on your chest, for the first time, uh, well, to run out for England for the first time, which happened to be at Lords, which was my, my most favorite cricket ground. Um, to run down through the, uh, down the stairs and out through the long room with all the members clapping you and then to run out onto that lovely lush grass with Graham, Co- Graham Gooch as my, uh, my captain, my first test captain. Um, that was a special moment. So it's difficult to pick things out. Those are the two that spring to mind because they were like two boyhood dreams come true so they're like, there's sort of like the start of all of it. But I mean, you you, know, you guys know the stats and everything. There, there's been lots of ups and lots of downs <laughs> along the way. You can ask me about a few downs if you like. But it, it, it's, it's been, um, it's difficult to pick on pick many. I think that those two occasions were important to me. Um, I think when you're playing against the Aussies, that's always something special. So I played in two Ashes series, which was great. Um, and everyone says my 100 at Old Trafford in 89 was, you know, a major uh, moment. It was, but if I hadn't have got 64 not out at Lords in the second test, I might not have made it to the Old Trafford, because in those days, if you played a couple of bad games, basically that was the end of your career and you got dropped. So I got 64 not out at Lords, which sort of saved my career, because I had another bad game. Not that I had a bad first game, but I didn't get any runs at Headley in the first game. The problem was we were getting thrashed, so it was it was difficult and all the knives were out and um, so I needed a performance there. So the 64 and out, I would probably pick on that as my most important innings. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly for England, definitely. Um, and then, I mean, when I finished my career with England um, in 98, um, I suppose I should, well, I've got to mention Johannesburg, haven't I, with the world <laughs> record catches and yeah. I, I don't think a day, there's two, there's two things that happen, there's two questions I get asked a lot. First of all, have you still got the hat and where uh, is I'm it? I'm sorry for being <laughs> no, so uh, <laughs> so
1: obvious.
0: <laughs> no, that's good. No, that's good. That's good. So that's, that's great. But the other question I get asked almost daily when I when I'm seeing people, not that we are seeing too many people at the moment, but is uh, is Johannesburg with Mike Atherton, which basically I just blocked for five and a half hours and sent everybody bored stiff to tears, you know, and and sent everyone to sleep. So, but people mention that in his, um and it is one of my proudest innings because I was supposed to be naught, not out. So I failed slightly by being 29, <laughs> not out. I don't know where the 29 came from. Um, I even gave myself a rollicking later on because I ate a four somewhere. <laughs> don't know where that happened. But Mike Atherton's innings, I mean, it was Mike. He, bat- he batted the two days. I just did the one, basically. So it was down to him. But everyone mentions those two things. So I can't sort of not mention Johannesburg, um, plus the world record of 10, uh, 11 catches in a test match. Um, the day before, which was a great feeling, and actually the first person to come in the change room and congratulate me was Bob Taylor, <laughs> the old Derbyshire England keeper who um, I knew from my early days. But Bob had the record, so he was the first person to congratulate me for breaking his record. So I thought that was that was a nice touch. That was lovely. The old um, keepers union. Keepers union. We've got to stick together, us keepers, because nobody understands <laughs> us basically. Um, so we, we we only know sort of. Um, that's what you obviously ran at grounds while well, the goalkeepers and the and the um and the wicket keepers they're all ch- they're all chatting to each other because we're nobody else to listen to us and they just don't understand us. So uh we've we've got to stick together the old key. Yeah, well, I, I sorry, uh, sorry to put it in. But you know, I'm
1: a, I'm a keeper on keeper? both sides, so um I'm 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 with you in that. Yeah. Oh, are you? Fully paid up oh. member of the wicket keepers oh, good union man. and goalkeepers union.
0: Well, do you know, I wanted to be a goalkeeper, really, but I never grew tall enough in it. I was writing oh. the final side goals, you know, those little short things. <laughs> Neither does Mac,
2: you the That's exactly my situation.
0: But they're big, those goals, aren't they? Those proper goals are big, yeah. aren't they?
2: Well, well when, when Max stands at five foot two, it's always going to be difficult, isn't it?
0: Uh, he's got a problem. You've got a problem there, Mac. <laughs> Definitely. All right. <laughs> yeah, unless you've got some stilts or something. Unless you've got long arms, <laughs> you might, it's going to be difficult. Yeah, the six but aside goals A lot of big, a lot great goalkeepers Max. have been shorter. <laughs> oh,
2: Jack, um, you kind of touched upon one of the bits there around um, kind of selection back in those days. Uh, kind of yeah. uh, a couple of bad games and you're out. Um, ECB, their emotional intelligence is pretty low at the best of times. And it's, uh, it's just quite interesting to see when you have like a gritty player. Would you say you were a gritty player?
0: Uh, well, I was a bit dashing to start with um, and aggressive, but I got I got more, I sort of took on responsibility a bit more as my career went, right? and I got a little bit more um, tighter and defensive, mm-hmm. um, but I'm gritty. I'm, yeah, I, if, if, I, I take that as a compliment because I didn't like giving my wicket away, really. I always thought that if you could stay, and, while you're out there, you've got a chance of scoring runs. So I sort of tended to err on the, um, the uh, make sure I stayed in part of it and then add my because I only had two or three shots really so I, I just as long as I stayed in I know I could make a difference so um I sort of became that more of a player but on the odd occasion when I thought the, the time needed it and you just had to go for it I mean especially in one day cricket yeah um and one day cricket lost it was you know, you you've got to play your shots and you you free up and you go for it but I would say I didn't like giving my wicket away let's put it that way
2: yeah you, you weren't really like James Vince who seems to enjoy doing that <laughs>
0: Uh, well, James is just if he could just sort out just outside the off stump, then he would be he'd be a top player because that kid can play. He's he's got a lot of ability. But our bowlers know that if they just bowl in a certain area for long enough, then you know he might uh, he might edge off to the slips or the keeper. So, but that that is a talented boy you're talking about. He's a, he's got a lot of talent. That kid.
2: Absolutely. And uh, you kind of talk around there, and uh, not wanting to give your wicket away, was there any other motivation you had to kind of dig in? Was there, was there anything that you were sitting there going? Right, I've just, was it anything like personal against other teams, so like
0: Australia? Yeah, no? yeah, a lot. I didn't like the opposition, for starters. Um, you know, I, used to, <laughs> I just didn't want them to spoil in my day, and I didn't, didn't even want to talk to them before the start of play. I mean, what I want to talk to the opposition was for, what this guy over here wants to do is ruin my life, ruin my day, you know. I didn't want to go home that evening having got a low score or something. So, yeah, and when I walked out to the wicket with Mike Atherton, the inspiration was Mike Atherton because... I could see he was going to do it, and I looked into his eyes, and we—you get, you know, you get your usual good luck, Jack, keep going, others, and that sort of thing. But I looked into his eyes; I knew he was going to do it. And you know, I'm going to be honest with you, I just didn't want to let him down. I just mm-hmm. did not want to let him down. I thought, well, someone's got to pull the finger out here, and um, and I'll try and stay with him as long as I could. So, and luckily, got away with it, and spent the rest of the day with him. But it, that was down to him, really. The inspiration was him. But I always found. I always enjoyed the battle with the opposition bowler. You know, it's like a bit sometimes like a game of chess. Mm -hmm. You've got to work out how he's trying to get you out. You've got to work out how you're going to stay in, where you're going to score. Um, So I used to love the psychology, the psychological part of it a lot. You know, I did take it, um, the battles, you know, the psychological battles between me and him and the remainder of the opposition. Um, That was a big motivating factor for him. I don't, and the other thing, I'm a bit like Ian Botham, don't like losing. So, um, that's, yeah, that's a big part of it, the, the motivation of it, yeah.
3: yeah. Um, Jack, it's, uh, it's Jack here. Um, Hi, Jack. Yeah, You. so you played in an era and you sort of touched upon there um, that was maybe slightly less gentlemanly than, uh, than, than cricket is at the moment, particularly after the fourth the um, temporary scandal. Um, one of the questions we would like to know, uh, the answer to, is um, what's the best sledge you ever received?
0: Um, and what's the best <laughs> sledge you ever gave? <laughs> um, I'm not sure the best sledge I ever gave. Um, I mean I can't I don't want to swear on your podcast. So no, I go, go ahead, Jack. feel feel free to. <laughs> I'll
2: tell you what, I'll
0: tell you what, I'll tell you what I will tell you, what, I'll tell you what, the, the one that's come to mind and it did it would seem to work was in that join that in is a sixty four now at Lords in eighty nine I was just telling you about <clears throat> Merv Hughes was giving it more lip than you could like even imagine he was just on all the time big mouth just shouting at you even at the non-strikers end he was having a go at you and he was just getting right on my nerves i just about had enough and i was just totally fed up with him and Dickie bird who actually was at my end we're talking at the pavilion end now so you're near from the pavilion end <clears throat> bowling as quick as he can trying to kill everybody um spouting off every delivery going all down you know like from two meters from the batsman giving it everything he's got Um, And I was at the non-striker's end And he had a go at me walking back And I I just turned around to to him and said Merv, why don't you just F off mate, you're big and fat And just go back there and have a bowl and get on with it And I'll see what I can (laughs) do my end And I just sort of And and Dickie Dickie started panicking Dickie, what's going on? And the arms started going and he dropped his cap His his markers went on the floor Because I'd never sort of said anything like that In front of a gentleman like Dickie before So Dickie started to panic a bit And thought there was going to be a fight but to be honest with you, to Merv's credit. He never said a word to me the rest of the series, and I think, I think they realised because I got runs that day. I think they realised that actually having a go at me um, uh, helped me and spurred me on, so it made me play better. Mm-hmm. Um, what I didn't like when I walked to the wicket was total silence. That was that was more difficult because you've got to, you know there's nobody to get you going, so you've got to get yourself going. The best sledge that ever came to me. Um, as a batsman, I think, it was in county cricket when Robert Croft at Glamorgan and Matt Maynard were stood in the slips. And they actually said to me one day, and I was just about, to, I'd just taken guard, I was just about to face the first ball. And they said, <clears throat> we know where you live. <laughs>
2: now,
0: for those, for those guys who know that I'm quite a private sort of reclusive type person, and, um, and before you ask the question, yes, I have had people blindfolded that I've taken to my house when I was playing because they didn't want the pressure of knowing where i lived. So that is a true story before you slip in and ask me <laughs> that one. It's,
2: it's
1: off the list.
0: <laughs> it, 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 and all it did, it just created panic. I dropped the bat. I was in a fluster. I didn't know what was... And I was sort of thinking, did they actually do did it? They, did they mean it? Did they actually know? That, I think, <laughs> that actually, I think, was the best sledge. The best <laughs> sledge I had without anybody saying anything was I got a good score against Northants at Bristol one day. I think I probably got 100, um, one of my rare 100s. And they all came out after tea and they all had, they, they could put on as many floppy white hats as they could. <laughs> uh, they all put on dark glasses and they all, all had a Mexican moustache. And to be honest with you, that's the best silent sledge I've ever had. Because actually, I found it stroke. I, f- I found it difficult to watch the ball because I was just crying with laughter <laughs> as I was trying to, trying to bat. So that's those in terms of sledges. I think those are probably the probably the best.
1: That's yeah, that's Brilliant. two great that, stories. Yeah. Um, I mean, so we spoke about sledging, and sledging is especially. It seems to be for the Australians a pretty important part of of being a wicketkeeper. Um, but I think another really important part um, that uh, that a lot of wicketkeepers mention is, is concentration and I think there's probably a link there as well in terms of what you said about having the mental fortitude to put up with all the barracking that you got from Merv Hughes and and others um, and I just uh, wonder what, what your thoughts are on on how uh, how important and and sort of ways that you can keep your concentration as a wicketkeeper um, during the game because you know switching oh. off and on it's all well and good yeah. but it's a, it's a long old day out there.
0: Yeah, and switching on and off is the key bit. And all, but switching back on and how you, the intensity of how you switch back on is, is crucial because to me there's two types of concentration. There's good, I'm concentrating if you, if I'm looking at you, I'm next to you, I'm concentrating on you. But then if I really, really give you a glare and like there's a sort of a an edge to it, there's like um, uh, an intensity to it, and I think that's that's the critical. In, in sometimes we think we're concentrating when we're keeping wicket or even in the field or batting. But we're actually not concentrating or the intensity is not quite there. And, and you, the guys that keep wicket would know who are listening that you sometimes, instead of getting to a ball, you're like an inch short or two inches short an inch on the finger and you don't catch it. That's the sort of intensity I'm talking about. Sort of to make things go to a maximum and be at maximum readiness. That is an art skill. And it took me, I'll be honest with you, it took me about two years of regular county cricket when I was a youngster um, to, to, to learn how to do it when I first got in the Gloucester team. So it just didn't come straight away. And over the years, it's sort of developed and you learn better how to switch on, switch off. Um, and so everyone does it differently. The important thing, the other part of the, important part of the concentration is the relaxation, which is a contradiction to being aggressive and like competitive and having an HD game, is making sure you relax sort of like from the elbows down. Otherwise, the keepers that are listening will know you get hard hands, Your hands tense up, and we get a lot of moving balls in England that swing and dip around. The biggest problem keepers have is the tension that comes in and the slight panic um, when that happens. So you've got to keep the. You need the aggression and the intensity to be fast, but you must have the um, the relaxation below the elbows. And I always used to. I always. I've always told my teach keepers. I always say, if you relax your thumbs then your, arm, your, your hands and your forearms will be relaxed. If you tense your thumbs up, you lads could do it now. You tense your thumbs up, your forearms become tight. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the relaxation is an important <laughs> part of it. And the other biggest thing about concentration is nothing should surprise you. So if the ball spins through the gate for an off spinner, you know, and it goes over the middle and the guy's gone down the wicket and, it's gone, and it goes past you, that shouldn't surprise you. If the ball gets a nick and you've suddenly got a dive to the offside, it shouldn't surprise you. Nothing should surprise you. If, as long as that's all part of the concentration and the awareness, you know, making sure you know what might be happening. So that visual um, practice thing is sometimes playing things through your mind. I did visualization before I, anyone ever mentioned the word visualization, but I, I didn't, nobody even knew what it was. <laughs> but I used to do it automatically because I used to do things like at the start of the innings, I would dive onto the The, the ball was just marking his run up, but I would do a dive on the offside. I'd move my feet and go and do a dive on the left side. And then I felt ready. I thought, right. If I've suddenly got a dive first ball wide to my right or to my left, I'm going to be ready to do it. And that's all part of the concentration. And we all do it differently. I think to sum it all up, in terms of the intensity, what I, well, I should do it really. I always meant to do it. I never did it. But when the ball was running in, the only thing in the world that, is, that matters at all, I mean, a nuclear bomb could go off. There could be a third world war. Anything could happen. I don't care. It's between me and the ball. So we're going back to that thing about contest. It really was a contest between me and the ball. So I would, And sometimes we think we're watching the ball and we're not quite watching it hard enough. So I'd look for the seam and look for marks on it, which ways the shine, et cetera. So the to- my total focus, when you focus out, you're chatting about everything under the sun, you're having a drink tonight, you go, well, we're, what are we doing? Is are about to eat? Or you go, what, you know, how's the girlfriend and that sort of thing. And I used to, because I'm a painter, I used to just look at the clouds and look at the light and look at the grounds and then, and think of other things like that. And then oh, we have a joke and a laugh. Somebody would tell a joke. But switching back in, the inter- everything disappeared from that. And I, I should have done it. And I, I should do it, really. Imagine it like a black canvas painted with a cricket ball on it. That When the ball was running in, that was my world. That was it. I never thought about anything else. So that's, that's the intensity bit of switching on and switching off. It's, not, it's an art form. It is an art form.
3: No, it definitely, definitely sounds like that. And uh, it was quite interesting to play along with a couple of those exercises. I'd never really thought about relaxing my thumb before, but um, that Thumb's is the key. Yeah. 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 <laughs> do you
2: still play, um, do you still play now, Jack, at all? Uh,
0: I don't play now because firstly, my body doesn't like it anymore. Um, I finished, when I finished playing first class cricket, um, I had a farewell testimonial game in 2004. That was the last time and my back had gone then anyway. Um, mm. You know, I'd still play now if I could. Even in my brain, I still, I'd still, I'd, I'd I'd still love the game. I don't miss it because I'm just so busy doing other things. So it's not a major problem for me. But I, if I could play now, I would still play. But I don't, I don't uh, get uh, angry about that or frustrated about that. I've, I've sort of mentally made a break from it. Um, so that was the last time I ever put the gloves on and kept Wicket in a game. It was in 2004 at Chartland for my testimonial game. Um, but i it, since I did retire, i mean I played quite a lot of charity games um i didn 't play anything too serious. It was either Bunbury's or the taverners yeah. um, or the odd bene, or the odd benefit game for people no problem you know have a little bat uh, squirt a couple of runs here and there uh, bowl right arm over very low arm just <laughs> about legal um, and just and just generally have a run around but i never kept i 've not kept wickets since but the last two or three years probably maybe even longer. I always tried, used to try and play one game a year, either for Bunbury's or Taverners. Um, but I've got to say, in the last three, four, five years, um, I don't think I've played. I haven't played any because I've been just been so busy painting.
2: Well, uh, definitely, if you played for um, our team, I Don't <laughs> Like Cricket Club, that is definitely charity.
0: <laughs> as long as you're having a good time, that's the main thing. That's the whole point Absolutely.
2: of it. Absolutely.
1: Um, right, now that stuff um on the on the concentration is uh that's, you know, re- really interesting stuff and um it's actually I sort of I watched uh on YouTube actually um a, a masterclass you gave at the lunch break um in I think it was 2010 where you, where you you covered a lot of that stuff um, but I thought it would be remiss of me as a wicketkeeper not to pick your brains on something very quickly while we while we have your expertise here cool. which was is something that I've not managed to find much about and it's a fairly um not not a core part of weight keeping, but but taking the one-handed catch at full stretch. If you had any uh, advice on yeah. um, on the best way to take those, sort of I don't know, you know, you talk about relaxation, um, and that's the key to it because it's something that I've struggled with personally.
0: Well, something
1: easy there. Well, Max, to be yeah. honest
0: with you, the the, the the one-handed catch is a last resort. But basically, you've got to try and take it with two, obviously. Um, so, to, and to do that, especially down leg side, you need to move your feet. That's important. But if you're aggressive mentally and you're fired up enough, the feet will take care of themselves because Mark Nicholas, um, once asked me on for something I did for up at Trent Bridge once for, uh, channel four a long time ago. And, um, he said to me, you, you know, about, he says your feet, you, you know, you, I said, no, it's my brain, your brain, my brain works my feet. If I'm not intense in my brain and I'm not aggressive enough, my feet ain't going to do anything. So the feet are important, but everything comes from the mind and the brain. But there comes a point when you dive in for a one-handed catch where actually it's easier to go one-handed than two. Um, Sometimes keepers, if if you're a bit short of time and you haven't got quite the time to get two hands there or it's a bit wider, sometimes it's easier just to take it one-handed because trying to bring the other hand across can make it more complicated. But if you practice your one-handed catching and you're confident of just catching one-handed, that's why you see keepers just practicing one-handed catching in the morning. They won't dive. They'll just practice catches either side just in one hand. Um, and I learned that from Alan Knott. So sometimes it's easier to, to catch one-handed. And I did, I did take a catch at um, Canterbury. It's just come to my mind. Actually, I didn't dive or anything. I just took it one-handed. Because I, I got slightly wrong footed by, by Courtney Walsh with the slope at Canterbury. And uh, the ball went between me and first slip. And I just stuck my hand out. And just stayed, it just stayed in. I didn't even have time to dive. So sometimes if I'd have gone for two hands, I think with that, I probably would have, I wouldn't have caught it. You know, I didn't have the time. Sometimes it, a lot of it, the other important thing is not to, you can't think about it too much. If you do your practice and you practice hard enough and it becomes instinct, sometimes one handed is, is, is easier. So, and you've got to trust your instincts and your, your natural ability and just not think about it too much. As long as you're trying to catch the ball in and in, in, in you're giving it your best shot, then that's the rest of your game should take over. You know, that's, on instinct so don't complicate that's important that's the important thing don't complicate one-handed catching
2: there you go max master class all, all in the mind hopefully uh, hopefully, the, all in the mind uh, and the other
0: thing max is Max, can absolutely. i just say something Max? the other thing i get asked a lot is that do, which what, what do i die for when when first slip's involved so the golden rule was really if it's below first lips knee height you've got a right to die for it one-handed yep. i'm talking now Mm-hmm. you've got you get two if you can you've got you got you've got a license to, to go one-handed for it because you're not sure if it's going to carry to him or not if it's above knee high then it's more straightforward for him um then you know that's probably more his catch than you being a one-handed catch but sometimes you get balls bowled wide of off if you've got bowlers that spray it a bit um and you're wide of off and you're running across in front of first slip sometimes you can catch it nicely two hands so it varies you know it does vary but I would say I get asked a lot: what do I die for and what do I don't die for when first slips in play? And below the knee is is uh, you've got full licence to go for it, in my opinion.
2: I've uh, I've been the uh, on the receiving end of uh, standing at first slip and one coming at about mid shin height. Definitely thought it yeah. was the wicketkeeper's. He let it go straight into <laughs> my shin.
0: <laughs> right then, then, then now there's there's an important point you've made because it's important what the keeper, what the first slip does. Because there's a, when I was at Gloucester, um, later in my career, we had a guy called Martin Ball who bowled off spin, and was a good little bat. But he's a brilliant fielder. He's the best first slip I ever had at all levels. England, the lot. Because we used to practice uh, with him at first slip, knickers off the edge of the bat with first slip and second slip diving in front of him, but not going for the ball. Right. I don't mean put your hand there and take it away, but actually just the movement of diving across. And he used to practice that. and he used to, So he would practice uh, catching balls with people diving in front of him. So whoever's first slip, I would suggest that that's quite, quite a good practice to get used to. It's not an easy thing when the keeper dives in front. Isn't, that is awkward. But if he doesn't dive, then you should be catching it, really.
2: <laughs> that was the thing. He did dive and then pulled out thinking it wasn't his catch. Uh, no, that's and- not...
0: That's wrong. That's wrong. You, if he pulled his hand away, that's naughty. Yes, that's the and, that, and that's, it might that's not well be your part, And he needs to he needs to buy you a drink and put some ice <laughs> on your shin.
3: To be honest, it sounds like maybe he just didn't like you, Ross. Yeah, it wouldn't be the first <laughs> time. It won't be the
2: last. Uh, anyway, Jack, when it comes to uh, kind of you've toured all over the world and kind of with with uh, kind of teammates and enemies more than likely. Um, is there any kind of ridiculous tour stories you can kind of share with us? Because I think um, one of the best things about cricket is that you get to go on tour with your mates. Uh,
0: yeah, I am going to say to you initially that what's on tour stays on tour. You know I'm <laughs> not nice say so uh, saying that.
2: I've got to be careful there, what I say to you. I, was, I, was um, you there, I don't mate.
0: mind, yeah, I don't mind dobbing myself in on the idiot things that I've done <laughs> on the other occasion. Um, but touring is great. Touring is like, I mean, I'm... I'm I'm a bit of a home bird and um but I, and I, I I love home but going go to some of the places to play. I mean Australia. Well, I, I don't think there wasn't a tour I didn't enjoy. Even 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 the West Indies where they're trying to kill you and there's four of them, um and there's four of them sat on the bench. You know fast bowlers I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, and the pitches are hard work and the you know you're keeping wicket in gold mouse and it's the the outfield's are rough. I still enjoyed the challenge of that even that even though it was tough. I don't think there was a tour I didn't really um enjoy even the hot places and i'm not keen on the heat really um so my first tour was to pakistan with the the mike gatting to you you guys are too young but the mike gatting shackle ran a finger wagon tour which caused an international incident involving uh maggie thatcher and ronald reagan that's how serious it got um (laughs) at faisalabad in 1987 you guys look it up um but I was, I was, uh, I only played a couple of days cricket in, on that trip. So that was my first tour, <clears throat> which I spent a lot of time sketching and drawing, which is a, no surprise there. Um, I formed the basis of my first ever exhibition actually the following summer. Um, so I had a great time, even though I only played a couple of days, I was deputed Bruce French, but I still learned a lot and learned a lot about the disciplines and being with England and being on tour. So, and I love I love that. I just love those parts of the country as well. They're just fascinating. So it's, it's a great experience. Um, there's things you shouldn't do and there's things you should do. You've got to behave and that sort of thing. Um, if you're something like Bruce French, because what happens on tour is all your passports used to, and with us, they used to get put away in, um, in the, the hotel safe. So you wouldn't do a runner or nobody would steal it from your room. But Bruce French, who was a Mount, who's the England wicketkeeping coach, as most of you know, he's, uh, he's, he's mad on mountaineering. And one day they were on an India trip and he stole his passport out of the uh, safe. Um, in India and he went up to Nepal and climbed a couple of <laughs> mountains when the, the management didn't know about it. So, But that's a typical wicketkeeper for you, isn't it? So um, things like that. I mean, I, I, the, the, we talking about the hat earlier and I've got to say, I, I, didn't, I did lose a lot of it on the tour to West Indies um, in 90, I think it was 94, when I actually put it in an oven and burnt it by accident because <laughs> I was trying to starch the brim with starch and to stop the brim bouncing up and down when I was keeping wicket, So it was a bit of the, probably the most dumbest Russell thing that I've ever idea or I've ever come up with. And, um, I remember putting it, we we're in Barbados, and we had these like self catering, I'll keep a long story short, self catering rooms at Rocky resort golf course. And I was room with Graham Hick and I thought, and it was the afternoon, a couple of days before the test, I thought, this, this hat's getting on my nerves, you know, it's supposed to be helping not hindering me. Mm-hmm. The brim was flopping up and down. So I starched the brim thinking because at home in the winter, the hat used to have to go in the airing cupboard after it had been repaired and washed by my wife and go over the biscuit jar, which had on top of it a tea cosy and a tea towel. That was the size of my head. Well, I didn't have an airing cupboard in the West Indies, so I, the best thing I could think of was the oven in the kitchen. So I put, it, I put the oven on, because I'm an expert cook, so I put it on maximum, which I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And um, went into the bedroom and to, to repair me gloves and get ready for the test match with me other bits of kit. And Graham Hick was in the lounge reading the book, I think. And he shouted out a couple of minutes. He said, Jack, have you got anything in the oven? I went, yeah, don't worry, Hick, It's only me hat. Don't worry about it. He said, well, I can't see the kitchen. (laughs) So the kitchen was full of smoke. Our lounge was full of smoke. So I dived into the smoke and and burnt my fingers pulling it out of the oven. And it dropped on the floor. And once the smoke had cleared, basically, it, it looked like a Christmas chocolate cake. Something like it was a bit, it was just, in a mess and the top fell, it was, it just virtually fell to bits, the top bit did anyway and um, I was sat there for ages, almost in tears and Hickey had told one or two teammates, Angus Fraser came in and had a laugh, Stewie came in and consoled me, you know, it was sort of one of those major instances, I nearly did lose the hat, my most prized possession um, all that took, all those years ago, so I'd probably say that was the dumbest thing I've ever done on tour. And certainly one of the dumbest things any England player has ever done on tour. Yeah. I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, was, was there any point when you were in Barbados and you thought of getting in a pedalo? You
0: know, I was just going to say, I didn't get in the pedalo and I always <laughs> thought that was a little bit risky because I didn't like the Sharks. And um, to be honest with you, it was sort of thought, and certainly I thought, uh, especially after a drink, that's not a good idea, yeah, well, Freddie, is but it? May, maybe, Ian Botham, idea, Fred.
2: maybe Ian Botham had his own... A floppy hat just for you and his yacht.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, well there's a few both of stories, but I'm afraid I can't tell you them oh, no, I just, uh, he's, he's bigger than me. He's bigger than me. I can't argue with him.
2: Uh brilliant. Um when it comes to as you stand on that subject of uh, like playing with your mates so when you're on tour, um was there anyone who was kind of your favorite people to play with? And then what made them such good teammates?
0: Um favourite people. I always got on well with Stewie actually, Alex Stewart. I mean other people think we were rivals and that Um, but we used to practice a lot together and work hard We were normally the main two keepers on a tour. Mm. Um, Sometimes I was playing, sometimes he was playing. Um, So I probably got on best with Stewie. I think Uh, we used to room together um, a bit, although to be honest with you, everybody got sick of rooming with me. So in the end, I had a room on my own, which is probably, it actually worked out quite well in the end, you know, to be a pain in the rear. Um, But I remember rooming with Alex Stewart, who is the most annoying bloke to room with because he's so tidy Everything, you, you, you never see him. He's never got a green stain on his whites. Everything, he's immaculate. And his side of the room is like everything's in position. It's like you can't, but my side's like a bomb site. It's like a building site. There's a kit everywhere. There's paints everywhere. Um, <laughs> Tea bags lined up on the wall. wall. <laughs> yeah, there's pictures hanging on walls. There's underpants hanging on light, light shades because I'm trying to dry them because I didn't trust anyone with my kit. So I used to wash my own kit. Um, in the sink in the bathroom in the, you know in the in the en suite um so alex stewart was a nightmare and we it, won, it got to one point where actually we put he, he got a big piece of tape off the physio a big white piece of tape and put it down in the middle of the room and he actually said to me if any piece of your kit comes to this side of the room it's going to spray <laughs> out the window and that is true he did threaten me but uh, we always got on really well um great people on tour there's been so many characters you know I think everyone's a character in their own right. Mm-hmm. He used to love it with Tuffers. Tuffers was great on tour because even at bad times, rough times, he'd, he'd come up with a joke and he's just such a funny boned guy anyway. Um, and we all love him to bits. You know, he's not got a bad bone in his body. So Tuffers was, was always great fun. And probably, I would say, uh, probably the best spinner I kept wicket to because he was, he was just superb. Um, he was a match winner. He didn't like running a marathon, mind. He wasn't doing much fitness or... Um, it was difficult to get him to bowl at practice, and you know, I say tough, just bowl me three balls, can you, this morning, you know, and he would, would reluctantly do it. But in, in terms of winning a Test match, he was one of the best uh, best bowlers I kept wicket to, so he was great. Um, being on whether on tour, or actually playing at home, people were a nightmare with people like Botham um, and Lamb, because and if you sat next to them in the change room, I, I, I sat next to them at Lords a few times. Um, and to be honest with you, that was, I sat in between them and it was like probably the, one of the worst decisions of my career because every, almost every night some part of your clothing would be like either missing or like you'd get a new pair of nice new suit with a pair of trousers and the holes, you have big holes in your new trousers just cut out. Often your socks had no ends to them so you pull your socks on and they come up to your kneecap. So. And, and I, I did say to them, look look, you can do whatever you like, but don't touch the hat and the gloves. I don't care what you do, you can burn the rest of it. And they, they stuck to their word, but being between those two guys on tour or in the dressing room was actually, um, it was a nightmare, but it was a joy, if you understand what I mean. It was great, Absolutely. you know. Yeah. And you've got people like David Gower, you know, who quite laid back, who are very serious about his cricket, but did it in a laid back way. Those guys on tour, they're, they're priceless. When you're, when, when you're away as a team... It's almost like it's almost a bit more important that you, you all get on and there's like a togetherness and there's a bit of entertainment because you're basically there as a group. Test matches at home, you're, you're together for a few days. I'm talking about the old days now before contracts. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's sort of you, you, you're together for a week and then you split up, go play for your county and come back. When you're on tour and you're in some you know, places that are not, uh, not great, I mean, we, I remember my first tour to Pakistan, we stayed in one place called the Montgomery Biscuit Factory. Which nice. basically, so it wasn't a hotel, right? It's the best place they could find. So well it was. I wasn't even playing. I lived on copper soup for about four days. It was like, it was a nightmare. <laughs> but in the at night, the mosquitoes were like they were like big as we are. They were massive. The mosquitoes. So on an evening, and you had to put you had to put the um, uh, there's a big fan in our room. French and I. It was like a helicopter fan. It was so big. It was like a whirring helicopter all night. But the only way you couldn't get bit was to actually put your tracksuit on, put your socks on. I used to put my inners on, on my hands, and then cover all my head in gel. That was the only <laughs> way you could survive. Now, things like that, you look at the time, of like a pain, but you look back now and you actually, like, you wouldn't have missed it for the world, you know. So things like that. So even people on tour that can be awkward or difficult, we all got on really well all the, most of the time, and um, you wouldn't have missed their company for the world. There's been some great characters over the years. There's too many to mention. There's just too many to mention.
2: Now, I think there's some great stories there. And uh, But on the flip side of that, was there any kind of rivalries that you developed during you, in your career? So probably not in the in your own team, but kind of on the opposition side? Because, I mean, cricket's one of those um, sports where you really have like quite a few opportunities to get one over on them, don't you?
0: Yeah, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, probably the biggest rivalry was between Courtney Walsh and myself. And I'll tell you why. And I played cricket with him at Gloucestershire for donkey's years. Um, and I got more catches off off him than I think any other bowler and he was with us for 15 years or so Mm -hmm. Um, one of the great overseas professionals of all all time absolutely fantastic he would do anything for you do anything for his team Um, I remember Leicester one day he bowled 29 consecutive overs on the last day just to try and win the game for us. And he, was, he wasn't bowling slow. He was bowling quick all the time. Mm-hmm. Although he missed one over in the middle, actually. He had to change ends and go and bowl at the other end. <laughs> um, that was on, That's the sort of guy in commitment, uh, Courtney was. And, um, you know, we're still in touch with each other on a regular basis. And he's just an absolute gentleman, top man. But the problem was, every every time we played the West Indies, and I had three tours to the West Indies, I think I played against the West Indies. Me and Peter Willie must have played against the West Indies more than any other cricketers in the last sort of like... 40 years or something because I always seem to end up playing against the which I love the challenge of it. I enjoyed it. Um, but obviously Walshie was my big buddy and um, on the opposition. But I, So I think he used to give me more bruises than anyone because he didn't want everyone to think he was going easy on me. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I think that's basically what I've still got the bruises. I could show you now. If I could show you, I will. I've still got the bruises on my ribs. And he hit me one day at, um, I think it was at Barbados and little Gus Logie was at short leg. And I sort of buckled, I went, oh, no, Gus, oh, he's hit me again, Gus. I said, I went, that's the last time he's coming round for dinner. He ain't coming round anymore, (laughs) that's it.
3: uh,
0: Because when he was playing at Colostrum, my wife used to cook for him and look after him and do his washing for him. So, um, you know, we used to look after him when he came over. And when we were over there, we used to go to his house and go, we we used to uh, go and have food with, we used to call him Mama Walsh, his Mm -hmm. mother, Mama Walsh. And I used to take one or two of those my teammates with me. I mean, Ramps came uh, one night, Eddie Emmons came. We had loads of, I used to go around every test match. We were in Jamaica, um, go around a Walsh's house and used to have, but she was great to me because, you know, I was a bit of a fussy eater. Um, she used to do me like chips and baked beans, which I thought was like, she was oh, so that's, nice. That's true it.
2: love, that is, isn't it? That yeah, is that true is love. true love. Got... <laughs>
0: I still quite like the, uh, the rice and peas and all that stuff and um, uh, Cajun chicken and all that. I used to love all that, but she used to spoil me with my, my chips and my beans so it's great but um <laughs> Jackie wouldn't have had this before
2: it's, it's chips and beans no, sorry <laughs> you wouldn't have had yeah. this before it's chips and beans no that's
0: right no that's right but the thing is i think that was probably the biggest rivalry because everyone knew we were mates mm. does that make sense on well, it sounds yeah, a bit of an odd thing but that's 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 what happened i mean i was all, all the opposition bowlers used to try and kill me because i used to annoy them I mean, I used to annoy myself. That was bad enough. Right? <laughs> I was batting, so, or keeping. So, it's sort of, I, mean, I was used to that. That was, just, that was just part of the territory, but, so I enjoyed Lovely. that. But, but I think Walshie and I were probably, even though we are best mates, probably the rivalry was quite, like, extra.
3: Yeah.
2: Absolutely love that. Thanks, Jack.
3: Um, Jack, uh, I've got a question about, um, it's, it's Jack again, by the way. Um, Hi, Jack. About um, the 90s. So, we, we sort of look back on cricket now and we, we oh, well, all three of us, we grew up in the nineties, so I remember watching Graham Thorpe, and um, he was my um, childhood hero. Um, Brilliant player. But, but what I sort of wonder about it, um, on reflection, is was it always enjoyable? Um, it seemed like the selection policy was was quite iffy. Um, We've talked about Courtney Walsh, but it seems like beyond that, um, some of the so you, you were facing some of the best bowlers in the history of the game. Um, I, I kind of wonder would it actually have been fun um, <laughs> to be an England cricketer in the nineties? Um, uh,
0: um, w- what would you say? Well, I'd say maybe fun is not the right word. Uh, it's not fun when they're trying to hurt, kill you. Uh, they don't try, They're not trying to kill you literally. They're just they're yeah. just aggressive with you. Um, I think <clears throat> I just enjoy that challenge. I only mean, thing about playing the West Indies, I'll go quickly about the West Indies. Thing about batting against them was you knew the ball was going to basically going to be short. So you knew what was coming. That's why people like Alan Lamb, like scored 300, 300 one season against him, I think almost in a row, because that suited this game. So you were cutting or you were pulling. If you weren't good enough to pull, you were just cutting. Well, basically, if you were like me, you just a lot of the time you're just leaving um, and ducking and weaving so, and just digging in. So it, that sort of thing, it, uh, that in a way it was, yeah, I, uh, funds might, might not be the right word. The challenge of it was enjoyable. And I look forward to it and it was it was a it was a proper challenge. You know, you're playing against the quickest bowlers on the planet and people like Wazi Makram and Waqar Yunus for Pakistan, they were two of the same as well. So that's not easy, but it's a challenge and you sort of look forward to it. I think the interesting thing about I, I can see your point about was it enjoyable because of the selection? And the thing the problem with selection a lot of the time, that first series, 89 against the odds is we must have used about 30-odd players. It was like every, every test match was a different team. Um, there were only one or two of us played the whole series. So that undermines your uh, freedom, if you like, your allowance to go and express yourself. And I think one of the benefits of uh, the contract system is, and if you've got the right captain, like Owen Morgan and Root, and those guys, they give you the freedom, or well, Michael Vaughan did it as well. They give you the freedom to say, if you fail, you fail, don't worry about it. You know, you're going to get a few games, just go out there and express yourself. You see, when I, it, it was tradition when I first started that if you had two bad games, you were pretty much out. You were lucky to get the third. If you had three bad games, you were definitely out. Um, I've got to admit, some players came in for one game, had a bad game, and they were still out. So it was such a... Now, that psychologically makes you think, I've got to make sure I do my job and it makes you a bit insular and a bit more, I've, it's slightly more selfish because you've got to look after yourself and do your job. Otherwise, your career is over. And I spent a lot of my England career knowing that if I got out or if I missed a ball, that could end my career. That, and then that's, psychologically, that's like shackles. Do you know what I mean? But I, I played with players like Darren Goff. who didn't give a stuff about that. He yeah. didn't care. Give me the ball. I'll sort it out. Give me the ball. I'll bowl him out. Just give me the ball. Whatever. The, I'll get them all out. Both of them another one. Give me the ball. I'll get them out. I'll go and smash it. Don't worry about it. So you do get the odd player that can cope with that. Um, at a, but at the time, I think it definitely restricted. It's not an excuse because you've still got to go out and do it. And the good players still come to the fore and you cope with it. But I think there are one or two players it may have hindered. And no disrespect to them because I, I love them to bits and they're top people and they're brilliant players. But people like Mark Ramprakash, and I'm thinking of Graham Hick and those guys that were just that, they just needed that shackle taking off 10% or just a little bit just to give them the freedom to say you can't fail. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, You're not going yeah. to the, the fail. The fear of failure bit is, is so restrictive. In any, and that's in any sport, isn't it?
3: Absolutely. 100%. I mean, if you look at their career in domestic cricket, it's, it's I think, one of the great oh, what-ifs what oh. of 90s cricket is, is what if oh, um, Rabagash yeah. got 100 consecutive test matches. Um,
0: Top-class player. Yeah. Top-class player. Um, yeah. To follow that
3: up, we've, uh, we've, we asked um, on Twitter whether any of our, our followers had any um, questions for you. And we've got quite a lot of um, followers from, from India. Um, so yeah, go yeah for quite it. a specific question about that. Um, the first one was like, did you ever get to tour India? Um, but the second was like, do you have any favourite memories or favourite players to play against um, on that nineties Indian side?
0: Um, yeah, I, I did tour India. Uh, I didn't tour in a Test series, but I toured. I played their World Cup in ninety six, and I went there in a one for one day tournament 1986 uh, 89-ish Nehru Cup it was called. Um, so I did go, I did go to India a couple of times. Uh, loved it loved it a bit. Loved the people there. Um, and I, Javagal Srinath, uh, the fast bowler, came to play for Gloucestershire in the 90s when Courtney was playing with the West Indies. I think we're talking 1995 now. Um, so he was a great lad. I Always got on well with him. Top class bowler. Really brilliant bowler. Did a great job for us at Gloucestershire. So I played against him uh, in one series at home in, uh, I think it was 96 the following year. Mm. So I enjoyed that. He was a tough guy to play against. I think the one guy that sticks out and I was lucky enough to probably have the best seat in the house at the time, although he was completely annoying and it didn't, you know, we didn't like it. But you have to appreciate how good he was and what he became and actually how good he was at such an early age. Was Sachin Tendulkar because that guy was on a different level, and I, I think he got his first hundred um, in Test cricket. I think it might have been Old Trafford, nineteen ninety-ish, around there, ninety-one, something like that. Um, and he, I played, I get in that game, and I've got to say, you could see from there, from about what three feet away, what yeah. a class guy this this guy was going to be. So he he, he was uh, he was he was something special. Um, in terms of India, Indian players, definitely, uh, yeah, he was he was probably the greatest ever player and um, one of the greatest players of all time. And do you know what? One of the nicest guys ever meet, me, absolute gentleman, absolute gentleman. Top oh, man. Every time i bumped into him, Jack, how are you? How, are you? how are you doing? Good to see you. How's things? You know, the guy's just top class.
3: Yeah, that's something I was just going to ask, actually. So you mentioned he was sort of quite annoying on the pitch, probably because you, it was quite difficult to get out. Um, were there any players that you played against that you found difficult on the field um, but enjoyed the company of off the field?
0: Um, well, all the opposition are difficult. But, uh, so that's, that's, that's it. And so, I mean, when I say he was a pain, what I mean was he was so good. He's like Brian Lara. Yeah. You know, they're just so good. You, you, you'd like, you become helpless and there's not, you try everything you can and they've still got an answer for it and you're still not getting them out and you're still not winning. Um, you know, I was there in, in, when he got his 375. Um, and, and so you just know, and I played against him, actually, the tour before 1990, when we played up at, uh, it was in Trinidad, and it was a, a, a local game, um, President's Eleven or something, and he played in that in 1990, and everyone was saying, look out for this kid, and you could see then, I mean, he would have been uh, just a little teenager then, he, he looked something special. So, um, I, to be honest with you, there's not, I can't think of anyone And I think in terms of cricket, I think we're sort of, I'm not saying we're unique, but there's something special about cricket that pretty much everyone gets on with everyone. I don't think there's, um, you know, there's rivalry on the pitch and you're at each other's throats. And, uh, you know, it's difficult. People can be a pain and they're annoying you. But they're they're getting, that's their job. You know, that was like my job. I used to love annoying people because if I was annoying and there was been a pain in the backside. Yeah. Now that's, that was music to my ears. So I don't, but I don't think there was anyone I actually thought I actually hated. Um, I can't think of anyone. Nobody comes to mind. And that's the other thing
3: either,
0: is, oh, sorry, sorry.
3: Oh, <laughs> I was going to say that's either a beautiful answer or a very diplomatic answer.
0: No, that is, that is a fact that is honestly true. I, there's nobody <laughs> like, I mean, I don't hate anybody in general, but I just don't, I can't think of anyone that I wouldn't say hello to how you doing or something in, in cricket. It, we generally get on well with a lot. I mean, you're right. You're, you're having words with people on the field occasionally, and things can get a bit heated. But you know, you might have a beer, or you speak to them when, when things have calmed down. And you, yeah. if you at the end of the game, you shake hands. You know, I don't think there's any any animosity deep down. I mean, you just respect that. Everyone's respect that they're trying to outdo each other. You know, it's great. It I think that's what and, I miss. Actually, no actually if you're thinking about it, it's just, that's the thing I miss that that rivalry.
2: Yeah, you, yeah. you, you and Merv with the old mustache off. See, so he's got the mustache. <laughs> be pleased to know that Ross is yeah, uh, trying to muscle in on it. that as well.
0: <laughs> he definitely <laughs> big Merv. But he, I tell you what, he's a big softy. By he's, he's a big softy, by the way. In case you know, <laughs> Big Murphy is the biggest softy you have ever met in your life. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's the truth. do going to tell you that. He's a top man.
2: Brilliant. Um, as Max was just alluding to there, Jack, I've actually grown a tash just for this, in, a, in the hope that you would. Uh, oh, have you? would see. So, oh, I'm honoured. I am honoured. <laughs> I,
0: I sadly yeah. don't have a, a bucket. I'm good, oh, good man. I've had my tash since I was two. You didn't know that, did you? I used to shave it, shave it ten times a day when I was growing up. Yeah, to make it grow quicker. Now it's a pain. Now i so got, I've got to, I've got to cut, keep cutting it more regular. Now it's a nightmare. But I used to have a big moustache, and there's logic to it. It might sound. All my eccentricities. There's logic to all of it. I had a big task to keep the sun from burning my lips. That was. That's why I had it. Nice,
2: nice. I, I, I just thinking. <laughs> well, it's not really my time mainly is it? to attract the ladies, but it doesn't seem to be working.
0: So, um... Well, that never worked for me, so I can't go there. That never worked for me, <laughs> except, with, except with my wife. That's it. <laughs> and that, that was a diplomatic answer, wasn't it? <laughs>
3: Oh, Jack, if you don't mind, we'll move on to some sort of more more contemporary things. You're, you're yeah. almost as famous, I mean, certainly with people our age, so we're all in our, our late 20s now. Um, God, as, you make me
0: feel old, don't. Yeah,
3: but, <laughs> but as an artist, so we, I, I remember the very tail end of your career, um, actually mainly watching county cricket on Sky. Um, I'm, I'm not sure I can recall an England memory um, um, that features you, unfortunately. Um, But but I am interested um, in in your art and I I would be interested in knowing sort of what inspired um, you to take it up Um, and was it something you did throughout your career?
0: Well, the funny thing was, I mentioned that Pakistan trip uh, in 87 was quite important. That summer in 87, um, it was a bad summer for weather and I got bored of sitting in the pavilion just watching the rainfall And um, the fact that I'd lost all my money at cards uh, (laughs) in the dressing room, had nothing to do with it. Um, But I'm basically a a person that I can't sit still and do nothing. I've got to be doing something productive. If I don't do something, if I don't paint like nearly every day now, I get a bit itchy. Um, So I've got to be doing something productive every day. And I just got fed up and I just thought, well, if Rembrandt, I thought if Rembrandt can do it, why can't I? That was my attitude. So I thought, right. And everyone was saying, right, if you want to be a painter, you've got to learn to draw. So, I stormed out the changing room at Worcester one day where sadly, you know what Worcester's like, two drops of rain, the grounds flooded. We didn't play for a few days. And, um, I went into town and started sketching very tentatively and shyly to start with. Um, and it sort of grew from there. So it really started out of boredom, but that winter was great. It helped because I was away on tour so I could do the sketching in between, um, carrying people's drinks. Um, and it just developed from there. And that winter, I took the sketches I'd done the summer, previous summer, into a gallery in Bristol. And the guy knew I'd just been picked. He recognised me from my first England trip. He said, go to, go to Pakistan, come back, and we'll have an exhibition next summer. So in '88, um, 1988, in Bristol, I had my first ever exhibition of 40 sketches. And they sold out in two days, <laughs> uh, which was like unbelievable. I wasn't expecting that at all. Right. Well, so that what, was, what kind that of price are we stock- talking
2: here, Jack? Because like, like, uh, it's one of those is, things, that, if they're that, all 50, the if they're ho- 50p, it's not that impressive, no.
0: is it? No. <laughs> well, the highest, <laughs> the highest price was £200, which at the time was not bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, everything was between £50 and £200, I remember that. Well, nice so winter. £200 was my biggest price at that time. But I just the fact that they sold was was great. So, And then the following winter, um, we were supposed to go to India, but Gooch was, because of the South African thing, that tour was cancelled. So... Because the exhibition went so well, I I, I was flooded with commissions. So the following winter, I kept drawing. And then after that, I thought, well, it's the the painting I really want to get into. So I started to teach myself to paint. um, Pig-headedly on the pretense that if Rembrandt can do it, why can't I? Not that Mm -hmm. that I'll ever be at his level. But it's just, it all came from that, really. And I just thought, I just teach myself to do it. And a lot of the times, it is a bit of a lesson for people. A lot of the times I was going to give up. It was like, I just couldn't, but nine out of 10 canvases would go in the bin, but every so often a square inch somewhere it would be all right. And that would keep you going and be like the end of the tunnel. So whatever you do, and it's sort of my philosophy in life generally, just never give up. Mm-hmm. So luckily for me, I persisted and it sort of grew. And then I got my own gallery and sort of, and I've been, I've been a professional artist now for more than 30 years. So we had a 30th anniversary exhibition a couple of years ago in London, uh, Chris Beatles Gallery in London, that that went really well. So I'm, I've, I've, been, I've now been a professional painter longer than I was a professional cricketer. So, and the problem is guys, it's the only skill I got left. So <laughs> I have to make it work. I have to make it work for me, but I love it. You know, And I, the fact that the reason it works is that people want to put my pictures on their walls and that's the biggest compliment an artist can ever have. Um, yeah. You know, that is the ultimate say, that is the ultimate for any artist in my opinion. So I'm really, lucky. I'm very lucky that I've got an art career because people due to the people that buy my pictures, so you know, I'm a very lucky person. I'm a bit it's a bit greedy really. I've sort of had two jobs I love doing um <laughs> as my main occupation. So I've got away with murder really up to this date. So that's good.
3: You mentioned Rembrandt a couple of times there. To, to the best of my knowledge, Jack, uh, Rembrandt never painted a cricket match. So
0: you've, <laughs> no, you've got that people, on him. Like, um... Well, and the other thing people do say to me, actually never kept wicket either. So there's, there's that, there, there's, I've got that edge on him, haven't I, at least. So, <laughs> so I've, I've got to settle for that. I'll you've got a few that.
2: streets named after him. Have you got any streets named after you?
0: <laughs> yeah, I have, actually. I have? You would, you would, yeah, you wouldn't believe it. Yeah, you would thought I was going to say no, didn't you?
2: Jack Russell um, Close.
0: You've got it in my hometown, yeah. They named it <laughs> close after me. And when oh, I nice. finished, when I, yeah, it was nice. And it's right, it's just about, oh, uh, 100 yards from my old career club, which is great. So it's just around the corner, which is magic, um, which <laughs> is now a, a housing estate. Um, but the other thing that came to me at the end of my career was the local council in Chipping sobri wanted to have a big um, uh, fun- civic function and all that sort of thing with champagne. I said, and I said, I don't want it, I don't want I, I it. I can't be wasting taxpayers money on champagne and that sort of thing i said let's do something more permanent and the building we've got it uh, in the high street in chipping sorry, there's like an alleyway we own this big uh, driveway down the side of the building and um, where all our offices are, are the people we rent out to people and um so that was at the back of the gallery and then we named that russell mew so those are the two things that have been named after me so i'm uh, i'm honored that that's happened yeah you don't expect that when you've grown up as a grubby little school kid do you? But I can't complain.
3: <laughs> um, just, just I, I, we've covered our to some extent there. And we've, we had a couple of questions actually from our our Twitter followers again. Um, yeah. The first of all, first of which was, um, if you could paint any cricketer, who would you like to paint?
0: Uh, dead or alive. Well, either. We'll,
3: we'll we'll take either. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you.
0: I'll give you both then. All right. I'll tell you what. I'd give. I'd love to. I'm going to be, I'm a bit greedy here. You should know me by now, lads. I just don't, it's not, I've got to to have my cake and heat it. I'd love to have painted WG Grace. And I'd love to have met a guy, painted a guy I did meet, um, but I never had a chance to paint him. I did draw a sketch of him, which is the reason I met him, but that was after I did the sketch. And that was Sir Donald Bradman, who was the most, I had 15 minutes with him on my own in Adelaide once, which was the same day, the very first time I'd ever got dropped from a cricket match. Um, I managed to have 15 minutes with Saddam Don because he, he, I, I did a sketch of him and I sent, he, ha, he agreed to sign some prints for me so I sent him over and he sent them back which he didn't have to do but he signed 250 prints I mean it's like amazing and we paid him but he gave all the money to charity that's the sort of guy he was I had 15 minutes with him um, so me being dropped you know every cloud's got a silver lining So the most amazing 15 minutes him and I in a dark room uh, just chatting about cricket because I wanted to say thank you to him the problem with that was all the lads knew I was going to go and see him, so they gave me a trolley load of kit for him to sign, bits and bonkers, <laughs> which I apologise for, but he was happy to sign it. So that was great. So I would love to have painted Bradman um, back in the 30s, probably when he was playing. That would have been great. Uh, this day edge, I'd love, I'd love, I would like to paint, um, uh, in terms of cricketers, I would actually like to paint Owen Morgan holding the World Cup. I think that would be... That would be nice. I haven't actually had time to even think about it or approach anyone to do that. But if I could, uh, while we're still holders of the, of the trophy, because I was there on that day, um, and I am in fact actually painting a picture of the match. I had a big, I had a seat up in the in the mound stand, so I'm actually painting my view at the moment we won the, where Josh Butler took the bells off. Um, yep. I was sat up in the. It, how I got into the ground is a, is a miracle, but I got in. Cost me an arm and six legs for the ticket, but I got in. <laughs> did they, and, they made you pay. Uh, yeah, no, they couldn't get a ticket. It, couldn't, you could, it oh, was wow. ICC, you see. They, they, they don't give you anything. You got no chance. Oh, I see. Yeah. Uh, if it's a county running it, that's great. That's fine. You get in, but um, for test matches, that's fine. But not not the ICC. And to cut a long story short, um, I was my old car sponsor got me in. He's got benches and that, and he managed to get a ticket. So nice. I'm in the middle of actually painting that game at the moment. So because um, <laughs> I've been painting the Ashes, which is which is the reason I'm only painting the World Cup now, because I painted the Ashes series from last year and I'm only just finishing that. In fact, I'm just putting the finishing touches to to um, uh, Stokes hitting the winning runs at Henley. So um, oh, I've been busy the last... Yeah, that's great. I'm, I'm looking forward to showing it off because it was such a magic day. But the, the, the World Cup final was the most amazing game of cricket I've ever been to, probably played in and, and watched. Yeah, so I'm, I'm so trying to get the atmosphere to that at the moment, which was... Not easy looking into the su- low in su- low sunlight over the warmer stand, but it makes for a great atmosphere. So I'm in the yeah. middle of that. Um, I still haven't answered your question. Oh yeah, I have. Owen Morgan holding the World Cup. That would be. If you asked me to do what, what I paint right now, I would love to do that. Well,
3: uh, hopefully, um, hopefully you, you manage to get around to that. Um, the other the other question we had on on your art on your art was um, from Paul Griffiths, who's um, a long time fan of our show. Um, <laughs> which of your amazing paintings are you most proud of and why
0: Ooh, god that's so difficult um <laughs> well i'll tell you what I, there's one painting i treat to the virtually to the same level in terms of importance is my hat and i would say when i came back from giant when i came back from south africa um the first picture i painted was myself in mike atherton he he was crouching and I was leaning over him between between overs when we put that stand together. Um, Sounds romantic. It, 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 it's called the last stand. And um, I th- that's probably the most important. I've still got that. That's not for sale. Um, that that'd probably never be for sale. So that's one of my most prized, And it's only very small. It's like oh, eight inches by six. It's not a big picture, but in terms of my pictures, it's, it's one of the most important. One of the early important ones was when we went in Jamaica in 1990 and my first colour print was called Moment of Victory. It was when we beat West Indies in the first test, which we were supposed to be losing the series 5-0, and we won the first test. And we actually should have drawn, if not won, that series. Um, and I did paint a picture called The Great Escape uh, from Johannesburg again, but it was a picture of the whole ground and me blocking the last ball of the match. <laughs> what turned out to be the last ball of the match. That's called The Great Escape. So I did sell that one to a, a guy in London. Um, to uh, maybe an offer I couldn't refuse, so I sold it. But I know it's gone to a good home. So those those are two important pictures. But there have been quite a few. I'm sort of lucky enough that I've actually, a lot of the pictures I paint are the games I've played in. So it's sort of like it gives you a bit of an extra dimension in terms of knowledge of what's happened in the atmosphere and who moves like what. And because uh, 'cause has got their different movements, so you've got to get the field right. The pressure with that is you can't make a mistake. Because being, me being a cricketer, the cricket pitch has got to be virtually perfect. So (laughs) it it comes with its territory. But then that makes me paint good pictures, hopefully. So that keeps me on my toes. So that that answers that, hopefully.
3: Yeah, no, I think it does. I I just brought up a picture of uh, the last stand painting, what what I assume is the last last stand painting. And it is is fantastic. So for people listening, I I recommend quickly Googling that. It does capture, without knowing too much about the test, because it was almost slightly, I mean, we obviously know what happened, um, but it's yeah. not within, um, it's, not, it's not one of the memories that I, I can recall um, no, having, having it, experience. but you can kind no. of uh, gather what's going on if you've ever played any cricket.
0: Um, yeah, it's that, it's, that, it's that moment between overs when it's just you and the batter and nobody else knows what you're talking about and it's like this very personal. So there's a lot of, mo- there's a lot of emotion in that picture, a lot yeah. of emotion.
3: And like you say, I think it, in a, in a way, um, captures the moment you get where you're not switched on. Before, what well, well, between yeah. between the facing Alan Donald or facing Pollock, you, you get yeah. a moment where it's just you yeah. and Mike having a joke.
0: Yeah. The other similar picture, actually, probably my biggest seller in terms of limited edition prints, um, is called The Spirit of the Game. And that was Brett Lee being, being consoled by uh, Freddie Flintoff after, the big, after that amazing win at Edgbaston in 2005, that, that, that resonates with people a lot. And it's, I titled it the spirit of the game as well. That's such a momentous moment in sporting history, not just cricket, oh. um, you know, to capture that is great. And it's a similar sort of pose, sort of position of the, of the design to the picture as that. So it's interesting that those types of pictures, the, the emotion of it, it affects people a lot, you know, and they, they enjoy having that on the walls, which is great. Yeah, no,
3: definitely.
2: Thank you very much for those, Jack, um, and thanks to Ruth and Paul for their questions. Um, Max, we've got some more questions from Twitter, and I was hoping you could kind of um, talk us through a couple.
1: Yeah, so yeah, so we we had um, had some of those art-based questions from Twitter, and we've got some some less art-based ones that uh, we'd like to ask <laughs> you if that's all right. Um, Go for it. So, f- firstly, uh, we've got um, well, all of the people at Froster CC. Are, is that is that right, Froster?
0: yeah Froster Creek yep. so I know it well
1: yeah sending well. They, sending their love um, they've said yeah, good. Uh, local legend he did a wonderful painting of our ground a couple of years back, but uh, what they wanted to know was whether there were any local lads who you think could have made it but didn't get the chance because of where they were based in relation to the county.
0: Um, I'm not sure about where they were based i mean i, I played I love Froster by the way, they're a great cricket they're really good cricket club. very important to Gloucester cricket now because they're probably, when I first started Stroud Cricket Club, playing in the Western League was the big, was the main club in the area and and all the clubs, the better players got affiliated up to Stroud but Froster, they've they've just done such an amazing job there over the years. Um, John Evans used to be my schoolmaster at school towards the end of my uh, time at Archway School. He was one of my schoolmasters, he's a top man there. I know a lot of people there, some great there's some great names and some great characters. There. You could do a whole show on foster cricket. Club. There's so many amazing people there. Absolutely brilliant club and, and great people. Um, and there were people in in that I played with growing up. I used to think, well, they they they're better players than me. You know, they they're bound to make it, and they never. Uh, one springs to mind is a guy called um, Gavin Little, who I played. Who similar? He's a couple years older than me, but I played youth cricket with him. We played a lot of in England stuff together, and and. He, he ended up being on the ground staff at gloucester um, but for whatever reason it didn't work out um, he was one player i always thought was a better batsman than by a million miles and would make it um, there's a guy at uh, Foster, actually eric woodmason he was a, he, he was a very good bowler he he i think he played second team at gloucester he he could have made it um, there's a young lad at, or he was a, he was a young lad when i, I last saw him his a lung keeper called Louis Gegg who was involved at Froster. I, I think he's still there. I'm not sure. He, he certainly was after um, I was involved at Gloucestershire Cricket, um, that really should have become a county wicketkeeper because he was just naturally so gifted, but that didn't work out. I don't think any of it was to do with area. I really don't think... I think in the old days it may have been, like donkeys years ago, but these days, um, the counties are so good at with their, their um, youth cricket... Uh, you know, all the youth cricket is on board, the board cricket, the county board cricket and the youth the youth sections to that. I think the the, the filter system is so good now. I don't think too many players get missed. I mean, they might end up going to other counties, but I think the net's pretty good at the moment and the attitude towards it is, is an important part of the filter system and development system. So I don't yeah. think an area thing had anything to do with it. I think it might have been other things in terms of maybe finance, you know, couldn't didn't have enough money to pay players, and you had a certain number on the staff, etc. That was definitely an influence over the years.
1: Well, it's nice, um, nice, to
2: it is, structures, not to blame for
0: for once. <laughs> no, I don't think so. No, certainly not now. Not now. Uh,
2: change, changing gear a little bit, Jack. So um, we've had one from James Noble, um, and he said, uh, "If he could, if you could be named after a different <laughs> breed of dog, what would it be?"
0: <laughs> that's a tough question because there's only one in there for that there's only one i'm not even going to answer that but you know what the answer is to that because they're short uh they're ratty and they can get nasty don't they i mean they actually think they're they actually think they're bigger than they are so that i think that probably sums it up
2: uh, and then <laughs> um, and then finally um the question was around um Typically, uh, in friendly cricket, everyone kind of, uh, you're umpiring, probably with a pint in your hand. <laughs> and did you ever, have you ever played a game drunk? And would there be any advice for if, uh, if you are playing a game drunk, what to do?
0: No, I never played a game drunk. I might have played the odd day sort of a bit hungover. <laughs> um, because, because in my early days, uh, I did used to like a drink as a mad teenager. And when I first joined the staff at Gloucestershire, as an 18-year-old. I used to think I knew everything and I was gobby and uh, your typical teenager, really. Typical um, wicket-keeper by you know, the sound of it. T- Sorry?
2: Typical wicket-keeper
0: by the sound of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I used to be told to just shut up and sit in a corner, for, you know, and just let keep your mouth shut. So for a couple of years, I didn't say too much, but I, I was a bit wayward on an evening um, in the early days. To the extent that actually I got threatened with the sack, actually. That's how serious I was like going off the rails. So I thought I'd better knuckle down and... Um, and discipline myself. And luckily a guy called Bill Atty came to Gloucestershire from Yorkshire and he was a really disciplined person. So um, I'd knuckled down a bit. and, and But, it, you know, the culture in those days was was quite relaxed off the field. It's not the same now in terms of socialising. It was a different. But everyone was doing it then. So you're all on the same playing field. Um, but I'm not just slightly hungover. I remember three balls at Old Trafford once in the first six of the three. Yeah, three of the six balls that came no the three balls came to me in the first over at Old Trafford one day on a Monday morning and all three of them hit me in the chest <laughs> because the night before I had a bit of a late night um because we'd had a bad day the day before and I was trying to cheer up the lads and build morale up ready for the next day and it just all got a bit out of hand. Um I won't go into any more detail but it was a late <laughs> night and luckily about five minutes later uh, the, the 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 heavens opened and the rest of the day was rained off and I got away with it. So that is probably the only time I've ever had a hangover on the field. Certainly later in my career.
3: Brilliant. Thank you for that, um, Jack. It's, it's been an absolute privilege to talk to you, um, and thank you so much for being um, on, on, on our podcast. We've got, we're on to sort of the last few questions now. Um, and I, I imagine you'll have, you'll have answered um, these a few times. These pertain to uh, some of your more eccentric behaviour. Um, All right,
0: go on then. <laughs>
3: I, um, so is it true that you went on tour to Australia um, and one, one night, uh, or, or, or for one of the tests um, whilst on tour, you went to the same Chinese restaurant five nights in a row and yeah. ordered chicken with cashews without the cashews?
0: Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what's not true about it. It wasn't cashew nuts. It was, it was, uh, it was, I forgot what it was now. It was celery. It was chicken and celery without the celery I wanted. So I did go to this Chinese next to the hotel in Perth on five (laughs) consecutive nights and asked the young Chinese lady if she would mind giving me some plain white rice. And but I'll have, the other dish I'll have is I'll have, the chicken and celery without the celery. <laughs> so that, that is a true story. The other thing she used to let me do, which is in some ways sad, uh, but it was necess- necessary, was she used to let me sneak in under the table a bottle of HP brown sauce. <laughs> so I <took laughs> my dry right So that, that's what I used to do in Perth, and that is true. The, that's on Wikipedia. Somebody should change that on Wikipedia from cashew nuts to celery, and that would be absolutely spot on. Well, we yeah, can change, you that. needed to have I,
2: a you needed to have a uh, Mama Walsh with you, bringing you some chips and beans.
0: Exactly. There's no one who's too far away from Mama Walsh. <laughs> we can change
2: that on Twitter. And we'll you... put the um, we'll put the reference as the
3: man himself at the bottom. <laughs>
0: please do, please do. That would that would be great. Until
3: you mentioned the HP source, there I thought that that was actually like. That that's what cricketers eat now, It's like rice and, and plain chicken. It's, you get your protein and your carbs. We were ahead
0: of our time, you um, think, <laughs> were we? <laughs>
3: um, secondly then, um, one of our listeners um, was was interested in this. I'm not I'm not sure why exactly they were interested in this. <laughs> But apparently you used to drive from game to game on, on the county circuit um, in a sleeping bag that you'd modified by cutting the bottom off um, yeah. to keep your, your lower back warm. Um, is, <clears throat> is that true? And did it work?
0: Well, it, that is almost true. What it was, it was one of my uh, kids, um, uh, what do you call it, duvet. We're uh, so talking like cot size now, so I'm not talking a big duvet. Um, yeah. but I used to wrap it around my hips because cars were so drafty. You know, you'd field all day, you, you'd get in the car, you'd quick shag, get in the car, zoom off home 300 miles. And by the time you got home, you couldn't get out of the car. So <laughs> I used to, and so the, I didn't like drafts. So I used to use it to protect my back um, and my hip and my lower back. So that that is actually true. I'm just, I'm a little bit concerned you're calling them eccentric, which I would deny um, because to me, all these <laughs> things you're chatting about to me feel like, Necessities, but I suppose it's a bit like the drunkard saying, I don't need to go to the AA. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I, I'm not, I haven't got a drink problem. So <laughs> if you want to call them eccentric, that's fine. But to me, I know the, all these questions that people do ask me, I just think they're normal. So, so maybe, you well, know. The- I,
3: I was just going to say, I mean, like both of those things sound almost ahead of their time in, in, in that they're, they're basically leading to performance increases, aren't they? Well, I mean, if you think about how, how yeah. teams plan everything to to the nth degree now with mean, exactly. having a transport tra- having transport that keeps you warm yeah and eating food that is going to be nourishing Nothing wrong with that um
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I, I see it's quite logical but i mean it's sort of i mean okay my first trip to pakistan i've never been to a hot place before in my life so what i did for and um, we were just told to turn up at the airport with your passport and your kit there was no pre-tour train, train or anything i went into a, 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 a um a sauna in Bristol with all my kit on and just used to play shots with my helmet and my, bag, and my pads because I thought that would acclimatise me for going to Pakistan. So I don't see that as eccentric. I just see that as like logical. But again,
1: these <laughs> days, you know, football teams, they'll do warm weather training and during the, the, the winter go. breaks and things. And so I think once again, we're just seeing an example of...
0: Head of its time. Yeah. Head of its time, lad.
2: Yeah, well, I make sure if I'm ever going to be on the county circuit in April, I'll wear all my stuff and practice in the bath. And I'm sure that you've,
0: got you've got to do that. You must do that. Stay <laughs> warm.
2: Well, Jack, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Um, so thank you very, very much. Um, I think that's all we've got. I think out of all the questions, unless Max and Jack, you want anything else? Well, I think well, we've got an, an, a couple more, um, go on, go which were it. well
1: previously it. we would have said were about the eccentricities, but now I think we sort of we're pivoting that belief to more of. Um, logic and um, ahead of its time. Preparation. <laughs> um thinking and preparation, yeah. Um so we we've heard that uh, you gave away an old pair of gloves to a fan, got some new gloves which you didn't like and then managed to track down mm. the old ones. Um yeah. so how did you manage that?
0: Oh, well well, when I went to New, I went to New Zealand when I was a teenager in the winters to learn learn my my game, so to speak. And um, in 1985, I joined Mitre Sports with Bob Taylor, who was my one of my heroes, and he, and Bob was running the the sports side of it. And he gave me three pairs of gloves. One pair I gave to uh, an ex keeper that I never ever saw again. Um, I had one pair for myself, and I gave one pair to a young cat, lad called Jason Mills, who uh, played for Auckland, played first class cricket in New Zealand easily the depressed wicketkeeper in England, uh, in New Zealand for a while. should have played test cricket, um, for them. In fact, I played against him. Um, he got for a president's team back. Well, when I went back there in 97, ish, yeah, 96, 97. And that's when I picked the gloves back off him that I'd left with him when he was a kid of about 12, like 15 years before. Cause I, I always stayed in touch with him in the family. And, uh, because he played at the career club that I played and I coached him a bit while I was there. And uh, I got older and I said, you, you haven't still got those clubs? Like, I left you in 1985, have you? And it's sort of, he went, yeah, I think I have. A, well, he said, I think they're in the back of the garage. I think the car, dad's car's run over them a few times. Uh, the thumb's missing. There's fingers, the fingers are hanging. I went, beautiful, great. Can I have them back to you? <laughs> Gave them back to me. I repaired them, got them back into shape. And they did the sort of like the the second half of my career. So really, basically... The, three, the, 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 pairs, the two pairs of gloves I had and one pair from a company that should remember remained nameless in the middle for a couple of years. They were all right, but they weren't quite the same. Um, I had two pairs of gloves for, in tw- for over 20 odd years for most of my career. So that is a true story. I went back to New Zealand with England and got hold of him and got, my, got those gloves back.
3: Fantastic. Yeah.
1: Amazing. Um... And then I think the final thing that we wanted to ask, which again, no doubt, you've been asked ad nauseum, is about the tea.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, how, it's, how much milk <laughs> do you have, Jack? <laughs> oh, I, have milk- I have it quite milky. I have it quite, but I don't like What's it too strong. What's your favourite brand? Sorry.
3: What's your favourite brand?
0: Uh, I've got Tetleys at the minute, but I'll drink any decent tea. I'm not. I'm not worried about the brand particularly. Um, no, I've got York- I tell you, I tell you, I've got Yorkshire tea. My wife's from Yorkshire, no, so I've got, no. got Yorkshire tea at the moment. Um, but I do drink decaf tea now, which helps me be less hyperactive and I sleep very well, um, which is probably due to my age as well. But I don't have the normal caffeine tea anymore. I got used to – so I used to have dishwater when it was normal tea. So I, I've even, it's more like dishwater now. It's caffeine. tea. <laughs> um, so it's decaf tea and I have – I've cut down to half a sugar – uh, in terms of numbers of cups, <laughs> I like to have one when I'm painting, which means sometimes I put the paint into the tea, thinking it's dirt, <laughs> and I'm cleaning my brush. <laughs> I've, I've ruined many a decent cup of tea while I've been painting. But I do, I do, I am a sort of a bit of an addict with it, and that is my comfort blanket. The only downside is I do like a biscuit with the tea, so I do eat a lot of biscuits. So oh, um, tea and tea and biscuits on my. Style my I as dad? I could live off tea and biscuits, no problem. Do you have a choice biscuit? And that and baked beans, of course. Sorry. Do
1: you have a choice biscuit <laughs> to go with the tea? I I
0: used to have, I used to drink uh, I used to eat chocolate uh, biscuits a lot, um, like McVitie's chocolate dark or or plain. Uh, sorry, dark dark or milk. I didn't mind plain, um, but I sort of stopped eating. I still sort of fell out. I, I think I've been eating chocolate from the age of about two months old. So I've always had chocolate in my life. I stopped eating it a few years ago. So I rarely have chocolate. I just have a normal digestive now, something like that. Oh, but I've just got something to way, dunk. It's all about dunking. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's all about dunking biscuits. That's what it is.
3: Anything dunkable. That's the...
0: Anything <laughs> dunkable. Correct. Brilliant.
3: Uh, what a way to leave it. Um, Jack, It's it's been an absolute pleasure um, um, to have you on the show. Well, it's been Hopefully good. We'll, we'll, we'll be able to have you back again at some point. But, yeah, sure.
0: Um, sure. I mean, it's been... It's been good to talk to you, lads. I've enjoyed it. It's been fantastic. And if there's loads more questions come in sometime, we'll, we can do another one. It's not a problem. I mean, it's been great fun.
2: Excellent. Thank you very much, Jack.
0: Pleasure.
1: Got it! So there we have it, Jack Russell. I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as we enjoyed talking to him. As we said, it was an absolute pleasure to have him on. Uh, really insightful, really funny and hopefully we can get him back in the future. But until then, it's goodbye from the Cricket Podcast, and it's goodbye from Jack Russell.
0: Cheers, bye, bye. The Cricket Podcast. I think it should never be permitted to happen again.
2: That is very good.